Well, good morning, everybody. <coughs> wow, rough night. Just, just, it wasn't heartfelt. Good morning. Okay, that was phony. So, but we're not going to give you a third shot. Hey, there's a saying that I'm sure every one of you are familiar with, right? It's nothing is certain in life except what? Death and taxes. So, welcome to April. Um, I want to add a third thing to that this morning. I can promise you, it's an absolute truth that someone is going to hurt you. That's not the most optimistic way I've ever started a message. So let me try to be a little more positive. I am positive someone is going to rip you off. They're going to ditch you. They're going to disappoint you. They're going to misunderstand you or they're just going to fail to love you. It's going to happen in life. And while it's possible that it could be an absolute stranger that does this, it's more likely someone you know and probably someone that you love deeply. Understanding this truth, Peter interrupts Jesus in the middle of a teaching. It's just, it's ironic when you see it. He just interrupts Jesus and he says, I have this question. Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Peter's question wasn't, will I be hurt? It's rather, how often do I forgive when I am hurt? Jewish tradition said that after three times, somebody offends you three times, they've pretty well tipped their hand. They've shown their heart. They don't intend to change. And so after they've done the same offense three times, you don't have to forgive them anymore. So when Peter offers to forgive seven times, He was being gracious. He was beginning to understand how following Jesus is designed to radically change our values. I just don't think Peter understood how radically. I think Jesus rocked Peter's world when he responded to him and said, "Um, no, not seven times, but 77 times. I think that's physically impossible with all the ways we can hurt and offend each other to keep track of 77 times that you would hurt me the same way. If Peter's office was great, offer was gracious, Jesus' response was ridiculous. It really was. That kind of forgiveness is extreme. It's radical. I personally don't think it can be humanly done. That kind of forgiveness can only happen when our heart has been radically deeply changed. I want to do a third service just to hear that song again. Just saying. All right. So I need to get one thing out of the way before we go any further. Uh, Darren named this message, and uh, a lot of people have been uh, curious as to whether with the title Indescribable Stupidity that this was going to be the story of my life. So uh, no, it's not. And I am going to talk to Darren about the titling of the messages he gives to me. So um, it is really easy for us to talk about forgiveness in theory, you know, when we're not hurting, when we haven't been rejected, we haven't been betrayed. When our heart's been torn, forgiveness is no longer just a theoretical issue. We are faced then with some agonizing choices about will we forgive or not? And how long before we really need to forgive that person? 
Eventually, we are going to have to make some very real, very practical decisions about how to forgive when we're hurt. And those aren't easy choices. One of my favorite authors, Philip Yancey, says, forgiveness is achingly difficult. Forgiveness is an unnatural act. The very taste of forgiveness seems somehow wrong. And like those two-week-old leftovers you pull out of your fridge and you take a bite and go, oh, no, no, no. Forgiveness kind of tastes like that when we have to do it. And even the kindest, gentlest people I know eventually come across situations in life where they just don't want to forgive. Identify with that? Maybe the person beside you identifies with that. Don't throw an elbow. We come across situations where we just don't want to forgive. We don't We want the person to hurt the way that we hurt. We want them to feel that wound. We want them to feel the pain that they've inflicted or at least show some remorse, right? I mean, I'd be willing to forgive if they would apologize first. No matter what our heart's screaming out, Jesus' teaching on this is really clear in the Gospels and in the passage we're going to look at this morning. He says we must choose forgiveness. It's not easy. It will feel unnatural. We have to choose it anyway. So to help us understand how critical it is that we forgive, Jesus tells a story in Matthew 18. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold. 10,000 bags of gold. That would nearly clean out my accounts. Was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Now, the people listening knew immediately when Jesus started this that this wasn't a lesson about economics. It wasn't a lesson about debt management. It wasn't anything other than another story that the point would come to. The dead giveaway was the man in the story owed a ridiculous sum of money. Let me put it in perspective, like 10,000 bags of gold isn't enough. One bag of gold, one bag of the size they were talking about, equaled 20 years of a day laborer's wages, times 10,000. You start adding it up, and it's a ridiculous sum of money. In today's dollars, it would be north of $4 billion this guy owed. It was a serious problem. And in Jesus' day, if you couldn't pay your debts... There were a lot of serious consequences. There was no bankruptcy court. Chapter 13, chapter 11, chapter run for the border. None of that existed. Okay? So if you couldn't pay your debt, there were all kinds of options there for the person you owed the money to. Your entire family could be forced to work for the lender for free until your debt was repaid. Essentially, you became a slave to the lender. A harsher option was to throw the debtor into prison, to sell his family into slavery to the highest bidder to help pay off the debt. Ultimately, the borrower's hope was these extreme measures would cause you to liquidate all your assets or enroll the help of all your relatives to help pay this sum that you owed. Because if it didn't happen, it was a sentence to lifetime in prison for you. Now, clearly, this dude's in deep woods. His day of reckoning has come. Justice will be served. And all that hits him, 
And as a final desperate plea, the servant falls to his knees before the king and says, be patient with me. I will pay back everything. As I imagine the story, I, I can picture people laughing out loud or just even smirking a bit at this point in the story because this is a ridiculous promise. You're going to pay back $4 billion? Really? It would take dozens of generations or thousands of relatives to repay the debt that he has accrued. It's insurmountable. But for some reason, this plea captures the king's heart. It unleashes the king's mercy, not his justice. And the servant's master, the king, took pity on him. He canceled the debt and let him go. Jesus is using this parable to teach us about God's mercy. And mercy doesn't start with edicts and rules. God doesn't say, take my advice, forgiveness is a good thing, try hard to forgive the people around you. And when you figure that out, come back to me and we'll talk about my relationship with you. It's not the way Jesus does his teaching. Our understanding of mercy begins with Jesus saying, look at my Father's heart. He's a good God. He's generous. He created a plan to absorb our debt of sinfulness. Let his love sink in deeply. Let it change your heart. The first time I read this story, I hit that point and I go, I wonder what this guy's going to do with this forgiveness, with this freedom. How is his life going to be changed? So released from certain death, the servant steps out into the clean, sunlit air. He takes a deep breath, and he starts strolling down the street. And as he does, he finds one of his fellow servants who owes him a hundred silver coins. What does he do? He grabs this guy, and he begins to choke him, and he says, pay back what you owe me. Well, this guy runs into a co-worker, and instantly he's filled with rage. There's something there that just triggers him, and he goes off on this guy. I, I kind of picture it, if we put it in our context today, it'd be like this. So, you know, a few months ago, that first servant uh, was with the second servant. They were both standing in line at Starbucks. And his buddy who's with him starts to do this, right? You know what that means. That's universal sign language for, I can't find my billfold. I've lost it somewhere. And the first servant goes, no big deal. I got you covered. I'll take care of your grande caramel latte with extra whipped cream. Here's five bucks. So our hero generously loans him the five bucks. But several months have passed. They've been to Starbucks together, and his buddy's never offered to pick up his drink. He's never even said thank you. He didn't walk up and go, here's the five bucks back. So appreciate you spotting me. We're good now, right? Nothing. And so he sees the guy on the street and he grabs him and he starts to shake him and choke him and say, where's my five bucks? I can still picture you in line faking you lost your billfold. I can still see that whipped cream on your mouth. You enjoyed that latte. You've never paid me back. Give me my money or else. It's just an absurd picture, right? That we do that over a latte at Starbucks. It's just so stupid. And yet it happens to us far too often. We fall for that easy trap. We all share that first servant's tendency. We like to minimize our own sins and maximize the sins of others. 
Now, the second servant doesn't have any idea about the king's mercy, the conversation that's just happened with his first servant. He just knows what he owes. And so he falls to his knees and he begs, be patient with me. I'll pay it back. Does that sound familiar? It's almost the same words the first servant had just used in front of the king. Now, if I were writing this story, you know, if this were me, this would be the point where the first servant goes, oh my gosh, I can't believe what I just did. I am so sorry. Look, no sweat. Don't worry about ever paying me back. In fact, let me just buy your drink right now. I'll buy you another uh, Starbucks just to make it up to you. Right? That'd be a great ending to the story, wouldn't it? Now it happens. That first servant refused to forgive his friend. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt back. What a stupid bonehead move. What could he have possibly been thinking? He just had billions of dollars of debt forgiven. He runs into a friend who owes him a couple thousand, and he's livid, and he exacts revenge. The forgiveness he had received apparently had done nothing to change his heart. It was unfazed by mercy. That's not the end of the story. When the other servants found out what had happened, they were outraged, and rightfully so, and they went to the king and told him everything that had happened. And then the king called the servant in, and he said, You wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had on you? And in anger... The king reinstates the penalties and hands him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Last week, we talked about the idea that when Jesus told a parable, there was one central truth that he wanted to get across. And Jesus doesn't leave us to guess. Sometimes he did that. He'd tell a parable and he'd go, great story, right? See you tomorrow. And he'd be done. The disciples would go, what was that? There is no confusion on this one. Because Jesus clearly says, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from the heart. He's not just making some theological statement here for the guys to think about. He's providing a profound assessment of what happens when we choose justice over mercy in our relationships. When we don't forgive It's easy to think that we've corralled the person who's offended us into this little arena and they're suffering for what they've done to us, how they've hurt us, when actually we've only enslaved our own souls. And bitterness is a wicked tormentor. That choice to serve justice, not mercy, puts a solid roadblock, Jesus says, between our relationship into our relationship with God. It's pretty telling that Jesus doesn't launch into what forgiveness really means. He just says you have to forgive from your heart. He doesn't say that you have to forget every painful event in your past. He doesn't say that when you do this, you're going to get this warm, fuzzy feeling inside. He doesn't say that when two people are estranged and they forgive, they're instantly best buddies again. Jesus says, no, This isn't really about you. This is about God's heart. Look at it from God's perspective. See your resentment from His perspective. Yeah, you were hurt. I get that. Nobody's denying the fact that you 
were hurt. But why are you holding on to bitterness? Why are you allowing resentment to fester like a colony of bacteria in your heart? It'll make your soul sick. And Jesus said, look, for my sake, for your sake, for everybody's sake, let your offender go. Same way God's let you go. If you've been hurt deeply in your life, you know that kind of forgiveness is a long journey. It's not just a single step. The next time you see that person in public, walk in the doors of the church and see them, go to a school function, see them, see them at the grocery store, there is this tendency for all of that anger and bitterness to resurface. And in those moments, we have to choose again to forgive. And when our thoughts take us back to the point of pain and what we wish we would have said or wish we would have done, and we feed into that bitterness, we have to choose to forgive again. My guess is most of you have been there in your life. You know what that long journey of forgiveness is like, or you're there right now. A couple of situations in my life, I'm wrestling with it right now. And when I calm down enough to silence my ranting, I can hear the painful, critical questions the Holy Spirit is asking. Why are you so angry? Why do you endlessly replay those events in your mind, repeat the offense, feeding on its poison? Why are you being so stupid? I hate the thought that I could be like this ungrateful, unmerciful servant. Don't you? And it's so easy to hang on to that anger, to ignore how it blinds us, to not see how it keeps us from recognizing the grace and the forgiveness that God has given to us. It keeps us living in justice, not mercy. This simple parable teaches us that forgiveness really has very little to do with the other person's actions. Forgiveness isn't really about their attitude. It's not about them admitting they were wrong. It's not about anything that they continue to say or do. It's not about the stuff they write about us on Facebook. None of that. Forgiveness at its core has to do with the condition of our heart. Has it been changed by the mercy God has shown to us? Do we fully realize how much we've been forgiven? By comparison, can I see how minuscule the pain is that I'm harboring? When we live in mercy, when we practice forgiveness, we can begin to shift our focus from what's been done to us to what God's done for us. So let me ask the tough question this morning. that person, their face has just like been flashing right in front of you the whole time we've been looking at this parable. Isn't it time to extend mercy and forgiveness to them? The long journey of forgiveness begins with just a few faltering steps. It begins when we drop 
the thoughts that we have of revenge or payback or retribution, when we let go of the words that we would say if we ran into them again, or the letters we would write if we just had the courage to put them in the mail, first steps are just letting go of all of our plans to get even. The journey of forgiveness starts with a few simple steps. Stumbling forward with our hearts both torn apart by the pain and set free by grace.